invite you to take your Bibles and turn together now to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I'm going to read verse 1 through 8 of Titus 3. But our focus this morning will be verse 4 through 7. 4 through 7. There is an outline in your bulletin if you would like to use that. But here in Titus chapter 3, Paul moves from addressing specific groups in the church as he did in chapter 2, giving specific instructions to Titus about teaching specific groups in the church. He moves here in chapter 3 to addressing all Christians and specifically their relation to all people. Uh, to people in the world, to rulers, and to those they come in contact with outside of the church. And so that's the context for um, our verses this morning, which really uh, just review for us the gospel, what God has done to save uh, the Cretan Christians, uh, what he has done to save us. And so let's give our careful attention to his word together this morning. I'll read verse 1 through 8 of Titus Chapter 3, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. That's where we'll end the reading of God's Word. Let's stop and pray together. Father in heaven, we are aware as we have just been reminded this morning that we ourselves, in and of ourselves, are foolish and disobedient and led astray. Uh, Even those in Christ Jesus, this is who we once were. This is who we are apart from your grace. Lord, we ask that you'd give us eyes this morning to see the goodness and loving kindness of you, our God and Savior. Uh, Give us ears to hear the good news of what you have done. Lord, help us, as we just sang in Psalm 119, to seek you earnestly. 
to seek you in your word, to know you, to know what you have done for us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take up your word, your sword, and do your work in our hearts. Help us to receive your word with faith and with joy and to not quickly forget it and to live by it to your honor and glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. My family has recently enjoyed several birthdays. And one of the things that I like to do on my children's birthdays is reflect on the day that they were born. And I like to share memories with them. And so I'll say something like, let me tell you about how you were born. Do you want to know about the day you were born? Let me tell you about it. And they listen attentively with wonder and with joy, with great interest in it. Well, in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and following, Titus is urged to tell the Christians on Crete about the day that they were born. He's called to remind them of how they were born again, how they were saved by the gospel, by the grace of God. And it's an an amazing and wonderful story that never gets old and that must never be forgotten. And they would rightly hear it with wonder and thankfulness. It would give them humility, joy, assurance. It would remind them of their new identity. It would remind them of their source of power for living for God. It would remind them of their purpose as well as their future. In verses 1 through 2 of this chapter, Titus is told to remind the Christians on Crete of their calling in the world. Uh, They had to submit to rulers insofar as it was good and obedient to God. They were to show courtesy to all people. And then he gives the reasons for that. And when he gives the reasons for that, he recounts how they were once dead in their sins. They were once just as lost and deceived and foolish and hopeless as the world. And it was God and God alone in his mercy and grace who saved them. Not because of anything in them. By his goodness and grace alone. This was the foundation for who they now were and who they were called to be before the world. This would give them humility in the world and in their dealings with the world. And so what's beautifully recounted here in these verses is the gospel. The gospel applied to sinners. The gospel saving sinners. God by his grace giving life to those who were dead. Washing those who were filthy in their sins. And friends, what's really amazing for us this morning is that this is our story. This is your story if you are trusting in Christ. This is what the Lord has done for you. And this is a far more amazing story than the story of your birth into this world. And so I want to encourage you this morning to listen with wonder as you hear of your new birth, the way in which God 
by His grace and by His power alone saved you. Even if you've heard it many, many times before. And as you hear this morning, believe, rejoice, give thanks, recommit to living for God with humility in this world because your salvation is completely His work. It is entirely of His grace and mercy. Brothers and sisters, Titus 3 proclaims to you this morning that the triune God alone has saved you by His grace. God alone has saved you by His grace. So you are to believe that, you are to trust in Him, and you are to live out of that, humbly in this world, for Him. Triune God has saved you by His grace. Trust in Him and humbly live for Him. Well, as we look at this text together this morning, I want you to see the central truth, the central action here in these verses is captured in this phrase right at the beginning of verse 5. He saved us. Before we look at our text together, just consider those words. That's the backdrop for everything we're going to think about this morning. He saved us. God is the one who saves. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the source of your salvation. He is the source of any salvation. Anyone who is saved is saved by God alone. He is the initiator, the executor. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You could not and you would not be saved apart from God. He didn't have to save you. He didn't have to save me. We do not deserve it. But we have been saved by Him and Him alone. And this is a central Christian confession and truth. This is central to the gospel. This is the gospel in three short words. He saved us. Salvation is all of God. The sovereign triune God alone saves And so this is the backdrop to our verses and to what we're going to consider today. It's the the backdrop and the foundation to the whole of the Christian life. This should drive us to our knees in humility and in wonder and in praise. Well, with that in mind, let's look at our text and see how it is that God has saved us. And we're actually going to start with how he didn't save us. And so, first of all, see here in our text, he saved us not by works. He saved us not by works. Look again with me at verse 4 and following. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Our works, your works, play no part in our salvation. And our works are actually described in verse 3. We read about our works in verse 3. We were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated and hating. Our works were sinful unrighteous, 
against God and against His law. Uh, They were filthy rags. They deserved judgment, not salvation. Judgment, not mercy. There was and there is no salvation by our works because our works are sinful and all of us have sinned. We are all born sinners with a sinful nature and we all live as sinners. Our works are sin. We also need to understand here that it's not as if our works and our, our nature were bad, but, but then God saved us because we started doing some good. We started keeping some of the law. Uh, we started to clean ourselves up. And God saw some good in us, or He foresaw some good coming. It's also not as if God gave us some grace so that we could start doing good works and righteousness, and God then said, all right, you're not so bad anymore. I'll save you. Verse 5 could not be more clear. Uh, all of Scripture is, is just as clear. He saved us not because of our works. He saved us really despite our works, our sinful works. He saved us not on the basis of anything we did, only by the works of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, which is counted to us in our justification, freely imputed to us, and alien works, works that are not our own. And it's so crucial to understand this. Because if we don't get this, we do not get the gospel. And we cannot be saved. Uh, We won't put our faith in Christ alone. You are not saved by anything you are, by anything you do, by anything you have done, period. You and I deserve eternal punishment. Our works earn hell. Our works sent Jesus to the cross. Now, it's hard to wrap our minds around this because... This runs against our nature and our ego. Our nature wants credit, wants to contribute. Uh, We want to save ourselves and be able to pat ourselves on the back. We want to be able to say, look what I've accomplished by all of my hard work. Uh, Look who I am. Look at who I've become. But listen again to verse 5 very carefully. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. The gospel is not the gospel. It is not good news. He has not saved you if it is by your works, if your works contribute. And this should make us the most humble people in the world. This should make us thankful. This is a reminder that we need to hear and to believe. He saved us not by works. Well, that leads us then to how it is that God alone does save us. How has he saved us? Well, God has saved us, first of all, and it's the second point in your outline this morning. God has saved us by his mercy. By his mercy. Verse 5 again, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
not because of works, but according to his own mercy, not a borrowed mercy, but his own mercy. The source of your salvation is not in you. It is not in your works. It is in God. It's in his own mercy. And God's mercy is one of his most beautiful attributes. It's his pity and compassion for the wretched and the unlovely. It's his goodness and gentleness uh, towards those who deserve the opposite. And God's mercy is not him simply withholding his judgment, the judgment that we deserve. It is that. But it's his, his own love and compassion that, that drives him and compels him to do so. What we deserve is justice. We've just been over this. Uh, what our works deserve is God's justice, his wrath. We deserve to be treated as the rebels and fools and deceived, enslaved sinners that we are. And we always would be, apart from God's grace. But God, in his mercy, does not treat us in this way. Instead, he loves us. He saves us. He sends us his spirit. He sends us a message of peace and reconciliation, the good news. Listen to verse 4 again. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. God's goodness and loving kindness is His mercy. It is the source of your salvation. His gentleness, His benevolent love of sinful mankind. And this mercy, this goodness and loving kindness is revealed to us in the gospel. It appears to us in the preaching of the gospel. We can finally see it. It it appears to us in our effectual calling. God reveals his goodness and love and mercy to us in the good news. God's mercy is not weakness. It's not God overlooking justice. It's not God saying, you know, I, I shouldn't punish all of them. I'll overlook some sin for some of them. I'll let some of them off the hook. No, God's mercy is infinite strength and holiness wielded to deliver the undeserving and the pitiful at great cost, not because of anything in us, but only because of what is in Him, because of His mercy, His tender heart for the hopeless and the helpless. His chosen people. Brothers and sisters, He saved you. He saved us by His own mercy. Don't forget this. Don't hear this and quickly move on. Let this sink in. Meditate on this. Your salvation is entirely of Him. Entirely of His mercy. And this should make us forever grateful to God who first loved us. And it should make us merciful. We should be like our God. Full of mercy. Full of patience. Full of compassion and pity as recipients of His goodness and loving kindness and mercy. We should be eager to show this to others in word and in deed. There should be no unmerciful servants as in the parable 
among those saved by God's mercy. And again, this should make us humble people. Well, the beautiful story of our birth, our salvation goes on. There's more. He saved us by His mercy, and He saved us third this morning also by His Spirit. He saved us by His Spirit. Verse 5, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. God saved us not by our works, by His mercy, and by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot that's packed in here, uh, some of which we're not going to have time to, to spend on. But this is where we begin to see and be reminded that our salvation is a work of the triune God. All three persons of the Godhead are involved in saving us. The mercy of God the Father is the source. God the Holy Spirit comes to us and regenerates us and washes and renews us. And it's all through Jesus Christ, His person and work, uh, by union with Him. And in verse 5 and 6, baptism is certainly alluded to here. But it's not baptism that saves. It's not baptism, the outward sign that regenerates us. A baptism is the outward sign of the inward spiritual reality. And central here is that reality, that work of the Holy Spirit, directly regenerating sinners. Remember, we've said already, and we've seen it in verse 3, that we were dead in sins. We were enslaved. And we could do nothing to free ourselves to make ourselves alive, to make ourselves interested in the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit alone that comes to us as we are called in the gospel to give us new life, to quicken us, to cause us to be born again, to regenerate our dead, cold hearts so that we might be made alive in Christ, so that we might repent and believe so that we might actually be able to hear the gospel and, and, and respond with faith and embrace Christ as he's offered to us in the gospel. It is the Holy Spirit that applies the work of Jesus to us. He unites us to Christ. It is he who washes away our filthy, sinful nature. It is the Holy Spirit who renews us, as it says here, he renews our wills such that we willingly embrace the gospel by faith when we once rejected it. And then it's also the Holy Spirit who renews us after the image of God, who progressively sanctifies us. Brothers and sisters, you need to see here this morning that you would still be dead in your sins apart from the Holy Spirit you would still be blind to the light of the gospel. You would be deaf to the good news apart from the Holy Spirit coming to you. But by the Spirit, we are now alive. We are washed. We are renewed. We are reborn. This is your birth story. And just as when you were born into this world, you didn't 
create yourself. You didn't cause your birth. You didn't pick when or where. You didn't choose your parents. So too we are born again only by the Spirit of God. Regenerated only by the work and the mercy of God. The life-giving power of the Holy Spirit who didn't just come to us. What does verse 6 say? He was poured out on us. And not just poured out on us, poured out on us richly, abundantly. This again should make us humble. It should make us full of thankfulness. It should remind us of our new identity now in Christ by the Spirit who has given us new life. It shows us here the source of our new life. The source of any godliness or gentleness or Christ-like in uh, Christ-likeness in us. Well, God saved us by His mercy, by His Spirit, but there's more. He saves you. He has saved you by His grace as well. Fourth, this morning, He has saved you by His grace. Look again at verse 7. Through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Those who God saves by His mercy and by His Spirit, He justifies by His grace. And God's grace is His favor to those who do not deserve it. It is God freely giving love and giving blessing to those who deserve curse, to those who deserve wrath. It's really God extending and and giving himself to sinners due to nothing in them, when they actually would repulse him and turn him away in themselves. God giving himself to sinners despite their sin. And justification is an act of God's grace alone. It's not God seeing, we're not so bad anymore now that we're regenerated, and and saying, I I guess I'll acquit you. And no longer hold you guilty. No, it is a free gift of God. An act of God's free grace. That we are entirely undeserving of. By which God pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous. Only by imputing Christ's righteousness to us. And we receive this by faith alone. We do nothing except for believing in this good news. God declares us acquitted from the guilt of our sin because our sin has been paid for by Jesus as he bore our sin on the cross. And then he counts us as righteous, not because of anything in us, but only by Christ's righteousness imputed to us, freely credited to us. It's all of Christ. You and I pay nothing. We contribute nothing. We do nothing. In yourself, you stand condemned and guilty along with the world, going to hell, deserving just judgment. But in and by Christ, by grace alone, you are justified. You stand righteous before God, not condemned. This is why verse 6 says, through Jesus Christ our Savior. 
Jesus is our Savior. He paid everything. He did everything. Salvation is entirely by Him and His grace and His work. And friends, even if you have heard it many, many times before, this ever remains such good news. The greatest news. Glorious truth and hope and life and peace and comfort. And you need to realize that you have been given, if this is true of you by faith in Christ, you have been given the greatest, most costly, precious gift of infinite value at no cost to you, at great cost to Christ, all by grace. You are forever secure, eternally in good standing before God. And this should drive us to our knees. It should drive us in love and in wonder and in service and worship to the giver of this gift. Well, fifth and finally, we also see here, He has saved you to become heirs. He has saved you so that you might become heirs. Verse 7 again, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God saved us not just to pardon our sin. He saved us not just to keep us from judgment and to take us out of this world. He saved us not just to glorify His grace. He saved us to make us His heirs, to make us children, to adopt us and give us eternal life forever with Him. As those who have become heirs by His grace, we now have a right to all that belongs to His Son, Jesus. We are entitled to everything that He has earned. That is ours. All that is His is ours. And this is really mind-boggling. Because again, remember who we were. Look again at verse 3. We were children of wrath. We were deserving nothing but judgment. And we've been brought into the family of God, adopted as His children made heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. This means we have all the rights and privileges of the sons of God. This means God is now our Father. We have His ear. We have access to His throne. He hears our prayer. He knows us. He loves us. He knows our needs. He will never leave us or forsake us. He will sanctify us and glorify us. This means we are given heaven. We are given the new heavens and the new earth. We are given glorified, resurrected bodies. We're given eternity with God. As verse 7 says, we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Right now we are still in this world. We are not yet glorified. We don't yet possess resurrected life, eternal life resurrected life but this is our sure hope this is our future this is our inheritance that we're waiting for brothers and sisters god saved you to make you his heirs to give you eternity to make you his children this is who you are 
if you are in Christ by faith. This is what you have to look forward to. This is how rich and how blessed you are. And this makes all the difference in the world right now. You're not living for this world which does not last and does not deliver on its promises, which quickly fades. You have an eternal inheritance awaiting you. You don't live now by the things that you see in this world. You live by faith. You live by God's promises. You live by what you know is true about you now. You live with hope. You know who you belong to. Who has you. You have a new identity, a new family, new treasures that far outweigh anything in this world. God has made you heirs by His grace alone. Well, that is your story. That is actually a quick version of your story if you are in Christ by faith. The triune God has saved you by His mercy and grace alone. By His Spirit, so that you are now heirs with the hope of eternal life. And that's a lot to think about. That's a lot to wrap our minds and hearts around this morning. But I want to close with some practical responses to all this. To hearing again this story, this good news, the way in which God has saved you, the way in which God saves anyone. And first of all, this is the way that God saves any sinner. This is the only way. There is no other way. And so this means no one is saved by who they are or by what they do. And this means that none of you in this room should be trusting in your works, should be trusting in your wisdom or the wisdom of man, should be trusting in who you are or who you are not. Trust only in the mercy of God. Put your faith in Jesus, in who He is, and in what He has done. And if you have not done that this morning, if you have not looked to God alone to save you, or maybe you're looking at God some, but there are other things that you are trusting in, you need to look to God. You need to look to Christ alone for your salvation. You need to see your sin. You need to see yourself described here in verse 3. You need to see how hopeless you are apart from Christ. You need to see your need for salvation and ask God to pour out His Spirit on you richly. Ask Him to save you so that you might say, as verse 5 says, He saved us. He saved me. And he's calling to you with the gospel today. He's offering you life. He's offering you justification in Jesus. He's telling you, he's showing you of his goodness and his kindness and his mercy. Don't reject him. Don't close your ears to his call. This good news. He is the only God and Savior. Trust in him. Bow your knee to him. Trust that Jesus died to pay for your sins. Repent of your sins. Believe in the grace of God. And know this joy, this hope, this peace, this inheritance. Let this be your story. 
become an heir of eternal life. And then for all of you who can say by faith this morning, He has saved us. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice. Praise God. Rejoice in the the gospel accomplished for you and applied to you. Believe this good news of how God saved you by His mercy and His grace. Never tire to hear this story. Your birth story. The way God has saved you. Trust in Him. Respond with wonder. With praise. With thanksgiving. By living for Him. Living for Him with all your heart. And your soul and your strength. Respond to the greatest gift with living gratitude that loves and serves and delights in the giver. Respond also with utmost humility. I've been hitting this this morning. We've heard again and again, there is nothing in us. There is nothing in who we are or or what we do. In fact, there's everything in us for God not to love us and save us. All that's in us is sin. Salvation is entirely all of God. Don't forget what you've been saved from and how you've been saved. There is no room for boasting in self, for boasting in man. Friends, are you humble? Are you a a humble Christian? Are you aware of who you are apart from Jesus? We should be the most humble people in the world. And finally, respond with gentleness and love for the world. Remember, this is in a section dealing with our lives in this world and interacting with those in the world. And Paul's giving reasons for why we should submit to rulers and treat the world with all courtesy. We are no different from the world. It's only God's grace that makes us different, that draws us out of the world, out of sin and death. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. Friends, if God loved us in our sin, if He sent His Son to die for us, if He poured out His Spirit on us, we too must love the unlovely. We must be like Him. We must be merciful. We must live for Him in this world. We must be a light in this dark world by our lives, by our witness, by our humility, by our devotion to our Savior, by constantly pointing people back to Him and away from ourselves. We must be bold and ready to share this good news, to proclaim this message. Because God saves sinners. He saves them by His mercy. He saves them by His Spirit, by His grace. He gives adoption and eternal life. It is not by you. It is not by me. It's not by man who is dead in his sins. This is the way in which God saves sinners. And so this must make us bold to proclaim this message. Rejoice in and share this good news. God calls to life by this 
means by this good news. People of God, the triune God alone has saved you by his grace. And so trust in him, rejoice in him, live for him with humility in this world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us this morning of this greatest story, this this best news. Thank you for reminding us of how you gave us life by your spirit. We who were lost, dead in our sins, in rebellion against you, hating and, and hated, foolish, deceived, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his life and death and resurrection. Thank you for pouring out richly on us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that each and every one here and many, many more, uh, that this would be their story, that they would trust in you, that they would know your salvation, that they would say, he saved us. Lord, we do give all praise and glory to you. We do ask that you would make us humble servants, joyful servants, those who are in awe of your grace. And we do pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.